You're listening to the Disability Spotlight podcast, lighting the way for disability in the sector. And I'm your host, Simone Dudley, an occupational therapist and Disability Spot executive member. Disability Spot is a dedicated group of speech pathologists, physios and OTs that volunteer their time to provide best practice professional development and networking opportunities for those of you working in the disability sector. And our podcast topics are for members and non-members and relate to supporting our community achieve best practice in the disability sector. Hello and welcome to the Disability Spot Podcast. So in today's episode, we are joined by four fourth-year physiotherapy students. We've got Matt, Sammy, Sullivan and Kubra, who will be discussing the findings of their research project with us. So it's examining the low physical activity participation rates in children with disability. We're also joined by the lovely Cara Vanovic, who's a physiotherapist working in paediatrics and disability. And she's going to be sharing some of her experience and insights in this area with us. So I will hand over to our wonderful physiotherapy students to introduce their project. Take it away, guys. Yeah, thanks, Sarah, for the introduction. So I guess as a part of this project, we conducted a literature review to look at the barriers and facilitators of participation at five levels based on the socio-ecological model of health. These were the intrapersonal, interpersonal, institutional, community and policy level factors. The most effective approach to addressing these multi-level barriers is a model called the participation-based theory, which aims to improve participation through collaboration between the child, family and community in creating a supportive environment. This, so this podcast will discuss these issues with the valuable input of our guest, Caro, who I'll pass it over to to introduce herself as well. Thank you, guys. Firstly, let me say how excited I am to be here talking about inclusive sporting and physical activity opportunities. It is so wonderful um, that this space is being promoted and awareness is being built around what is available to children and their families in our communities. My name is Cara. Uh, I'm a physiotherapist in Wollongong. I recently started my clinic, Neurocentric, to be a clinic where babies, children, adolescents and young adults with neurological impairments are empowered to participate in their communities. I also work as the head physiotherapist for the Paramatildas, the National Women's Football Team for Athletes with Cerebral Palsy, Brain Injury or Symptoms of Stroke, and as a classifier for CP football. Inclusive physical activities and sport is something I'm very passionate about, and I'm really looking forward to spending some time talking to you about it. Thanks, Cara. So I guess we'll get started with the first level under the socio-ecological model, which was the intrapersonal barriers. So I guess from my end, I found that impairments related to specific disabilities was a major barrier across multiple studies. And what I found as was goal-oriented play and task-oriented therapy were most common effective strategies used to address this behaviour. But one thing I did find very interesting was that emotional barriers, you know, were as powerful as physical barriers in reducing participation in physical activity. I found that this was because many kids with a disability did have a fear of failure, a fear of standing out, a fear of bullying with components of embarrassment and social anxiety also feeding into this as well. So I guess what do you think is the best way to approach the fear young people with disabilities have regarding physical activity participation? Good question. I think our role as physiotherapists and health professionals in this space really is to empower each person to achieve their dreams. I found that I find that empowerment is a bit of a circular process, starting with that motivational interviewing to understand a child's passions, the things they enjoy and what it is they want to achieve or their families want them to achieve. From there, as you mentioned, you can establish clear and achievable goals and structure sessions to be goal and task oriented. 
For example, an entire therapy session can be built around football for a child who loves football and wants to do nothing but football. So you can really build around what it is the child wants to achieve. The other thing I find is the language we use with children and their families is really important. When we empower children, adolescents and young adults to understand and celebrate their bodies, we give them a way to share their experience, their personal experiences with those around them. One example of this is a young girl I work with who recently started school and uses a frame for running. Children at school often asked her why she was using the frame and she had difficulty answering their questions, which impacted on her desire to use the frame at all. But after working with her and the class to explain her frame as a tool to help her because her muscles get tired quickly, she has started consistently asking for her frame, which is allowing her to play more and participate more in school activities. For older children and adolescents who are progressing more into sort of those competitive sport pathways, finding avenues for them to participate alongside their peers is also really important. For example, finding the sport that they love and finding ways for them to do it. Practically, it's often really easy to help kids access classification for swimming and athletics so that they can participate in their school carnivals and then represent their school at sort of regional, state or national level as well. That was very inspiring. Thanks, Cara. I'll pass over with some Matt now. So as we move on to looking at the interpersonal level factors, I've found that families often report time pressures of attending appointments and therapy sessions, resulting in physical activity being sacrificed. It would be interesting to hear from you if this is what you find when talking with families and how you think we might change some of those perceptions around the importance of physical activity. Good question again. I think this is where it is really important to change the way we look at and talk about physical activity. Physical activity is therapy. When you think of the F words of child development, function, fun, fitness, friends, family, physical activity puts together all the things a child is working on in their therapies. We know that kids learn more when they are having fun and physical activity is a great way for them to enjoy and give meaning to the skills they are working really hard on in physio. A practical way of helping families to access physical activity opportunities is to encourage them to attend some of the come and try days for different sports, such as those held by Paralympics Australia or CPSARA. That way they don't need to commit to weekly activities, but can try out different sports until they find something they fall in love with. Yeah, I really like that point. Physical uh, activity is therapy. I also came across some evidence which suggested that as children with disability participate in physical activity, low performance expectations that are often held by other people are attenuated. Have you seen this within the sport or school setting? And do you have any ideas about how our listeners could go about further reducing the stigma of low performance expectations in children with disability? As physios and healthcare professionals, the language we use is really so important and it is really critical that we use language that is empowering to each child and their family. Rather than reinforcing those low expectations, we can switch our wording to focus on the unique capabilities and strengths each child brings to whatever activity that is that they're involved in. I find that helping families link with parasport opportunities gives children a chance to hang out with and celebrate the achievements of others with disabilities and build their self-confidence in exploring physical activity pathways. For example, supporting our senior national teams and Paralympic Paralympian athletes celebrates the achievement of the disability community. For a bit of a football plug here, Australia is hosting the IFCPF Para-Asian Cup in Melbourne at the end of the year which would be a wonderful opportunity to support our national men's and women's teams on home soil. Uh, Yeah, thanks for that. I'll pass on to Solomon now, who's going to look at the next slide. Okay, so for the institutional barriers, what we did find in the literature was that a lot of 
um, children and as well as parents alike, they were looking at that there was a lack of inclusive sporting opportunities in the community. Now, I thought that was an interesting point, Kara, and I just wanted to put to you, do you believe that there is a lack of inclusive sporting opportunities or that the available opportunities are poorly promoted? It's a really hard one, a really good question as well. There are so many different sports options out there and so many come and try days, parasport pathways, adaptive events that we could access. And even the sports that don't have a clear pathway, they are often very accommodating of suggestions and ideas to promote inclusivity. The part that I think we as healthcare professionals can be better at is knowing about those opportunities and supporting families to access those avenues. What you guys are doing with setting up that the new resource, I think is a really, really good place to start so that therapists can look for a variety of sports and then link families into it. Well done, guys. Great. Thanks for that, Cara. The next one that I had was, you know, they do a lot of services Services say that they are accessible, but, you know, children and parents, when they do arrive at the site, you know, there's stairs or there's no ramps or something like that. So I was just wondering... How do therapists overcome accessibility issues for children with disability when they go to those facilities? Accessibility is a hard one because often we're dealing with sports facilities that were built many, many years ago. Increasingly, we're getting better at it and the newer facilities that are being built tend to be relatively accessible, especially when the disability community have been consulted along the way. But I think that's where the key is. It's in consultation and in talking and in advocating from the very get-go. So if you know that a child or one of your clients is attending a new venue, call ahead, ask them about what the accessibility looks like and talk to them about how to make it accessible for your client or even go on the first day and help them sort out accessibility issues. Sure. Do you find that sometimes some opportunities are lost when they are inaccessible and that there's no choice and parents and children just need to look for other opportunities? Unfortunately, yes, especially when concerns around sort of changing tables, especially larger, like adult size changing tables can be a really big factor. And it's something that a lot of sports don't necessarily think about in advance. In saying that, given enough time, a lot of sports will try and work alongside you to make the event accessible. Great. Thanks, Kari. It's a slow process, but I'm sure most organizations are on the way. I'll hand over to Sammy for the next level. All right, so moving on to our community barriers. So when we talk about participation, we really think about those community supporting programs. But from our research, it really feels like it's influenced by a lot of different organizations from hospital rehabilitation, government, schools, and so on. But there's a lot of evidence indicating that there wasn't really a lot of partnership between these organizations. And I just wanted to ask, is that how you feel in practice and what can therapists do to uh, resolve this? Good question and a really hard area. Interdisciplinary communication can be really challenging because we all work full-time or very full caseloads in different places with many conflicting demands. The desire really is there for most of us to communicate with everyone involved in a client's care, but often that is just not feasible on a regular basis. In saying that, a lot of the para-sport pathways and come and try days are trying to address it by reaching out to us as therapists ideas, promotion and participation, which is really wonderful to see. In terms of physical activity, I find establishing a relationship with those running the physical activity programs is really important, as well as working alongside them to build inclusive participation for each child. For example, attending PE classes with a child and supporting the school to develop inclusive opportunities in PE activities for that child. Then if the school need advice or support in the future, they know who you are and how to contact you so they can just reach out to you. 
Similarly, attending community sporting events with clients to build awareness around what that client needs and how to support them is really useful. Another thing we can do to address sort of that interdisciplinary communication is to support families to advocate for their child and be the link between the different groups in a child's care. Things like preparing families for upcoming meetings with other teams and helping them to understand the supports their child may need to participate in sport um, or physical activity and showing them how to advocate for those needs. That's really great advice and it seems like communication is really the key to that. Thank you. And just moving on to our last barrier, which was our policy uh, level. So, of course, it's a major topic. However, I was really hoping to focus specifically on the NDIS, as I imagine a lot of listeners um, are from Australia and would appreciate your insights. So I found that while the NDIS on paper can be incredibly helpful when it comes to the practical use of it and trying to get parents to navigate this, I find that it's difficult to access the support. Can you share your thoughts about this? We're so lucky in Australia to have the NDIS. A lot of countries don't have the level of support that we do for any of our children or adolescents or young adults, adults with disabilities. And it is such a good scheme that really helps people work towards their goals. But as you say, sometimes it's really hard to access exactly the supports that you need and to advocate for those needs. I often tell families who are first starting out on the NDIS journey that the NDIS needs to see their child as a person within the broader family and community world. Show the NDIS your family world, tell them what a typical day looks like, how much support does your child need with everything, everyday things like dressing, community access. I often give parents a 24-hour calendar and get them to fill it out and with as much detail as they can about what a day looks like and then talk to the family and get them to prepare a bit of a summary about what it is that they do as a family, what it is that interests their child, talk about the supports that they need in order to do things that they want to do as well as the everyday things that they have to do. For example, if a child really enjoys running but needs a frame to run in or braces or an AFO or something, tell the NDIS and advocate for those specific supports until until you get them really. The hardest part with the NDIS is that you really need to clearly articulate the child's impairment level and the areas in which your child needs help rather than their skills, achievements and unique personalities. It is really hard and really important to prepare families so that they know that that's where the NDIS is coming from and they're not able to use that to most effectively advocate for their child and the supports they need to develop age-appropriate skills and to participate in community physical activity opportunities. Our job as physios really is all about empowerment and then to build those links between our clients and families and the physical, physical activity opportunities that they want to be involved in. Thank you. That's really insightful. And I'll pass it on to Solomon just to talk about the database we've developed to kind of address these issues. Yep. So just to our disability spot listeners, we do understand that therapists do struggle in finding those suitable physical activity programs for children with disability. And it's definitely supported by the literature, parents, children, therapists, everyone's really struggling with that. And as currently touch upon, it is a mix of both about having the inaccessible facilities or there's a lack of promotion. And this process of therapists going and searching Google, doing thorough searches is understandably time consuming and troublesome. So as part of our project, we have responded to this issue and trying to find inclusive sporting programs across Sydney. We are compiling all the programs we've found and placing them into a, a big database, sort of like an Excel sheet that is accessible on the Disability Spot website. The aim is for health professionals to easily source local sporting opportunities for children by circumventing that lengthy search process um, that's normally undertaken. 
So the database, the database will be split by Sydney local health districts and includes things on the location of the sport slash activity, a brief description, contact details, website, and when the site was contacted. The good thing about placing um, um, all these programs into an Excel sheet is that other health professionals can continually update the database and add any sporting organizations that we missed ourselves or any organizations that have now become inclusive, which is generally the shift that we are seeing um, among all these sporting um, programs. Thanks so much, Cara, for your insight into this issue. Yeah, look, it, it was a it was a lengthy process, you know, doing this project. You know, there's it's pretty much impossible to cover every barrier and strategy in one single podcast. But we hope that for our listeners that we did shed some light on this issue that definitely does need to be addressed. And I hope with time, the more therapists are aware of it, the issue can be addressed. Thanks so much. And I'd just like to pay a really big thank you to our wonderful student team for all of their hard work on this project. And next week, thank you to Cara for um, joining us today and sharing her insights. And just for all our listeners to be aware that the full literature review that our students have put together, as well as the database, will all be available on the Disability, Disability Spot website. And the links to that will be in the show notes below. Thank you so much. We hope you've enjoyed listening to the Disability Spot podcast. Be sure to check the links for any information on topics talked about today. Disability Spot is run by a group of passionate allied health professionals and dedicated to presenting best practice seminars and building networks for those working to support people with disabilities. Consider becoming a Disability Spot member to attend events, tap into webinars or recordings, resources and network. It's a really cost-effective way to build those PD points. To listen to new Disability Spot podcasts, subscribe and be sure to tell your friends and colleagues. Disability Spotlight, lighting the way for disability in the sector.